This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Welcome, everyone, to Somewhere in the Skies. And today, for the very first time, I can't believe I'm actually saying that, the first time in Somewhere in the Skies history, we have with us former federal agent and paranormal investigator, UFO researcher, and everything in between, Ben Hansen. We're going to be talking all about his new show, UFO Witness, on Discovery+. Plus. So without further ado, Ben, thank you so much for joining me on Somewhere in the Skies. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Brian. It's good to good to see you again. Been a been a, a crazy year, hasn't it? We're we're still here. We're still alive, and there's a lot of stuff to talk about with UFOs. I know, man. And before we do that, um, I'm gonna pull up a photo. I think this is the last time you and I actually saw each other. Give me one sec here. Okay, pull this up for your thoughts. Boom. What's going on there, man? <laughs> Do you remember this night? Because I honestly don't. I think I see you in the very background in a in a, a face of shock. And maybe I had made a comment to James Fox, and, and he got upset about it. And so he, he did a left hook haymaker there, really slow motion. And I was too slow, and, and I caught it right face. <laughs> you, you, hey, you took it in stride, man. Turning the cheek. Isn't that what they say? Um, I thought that'd be a fun way to start things off. Let me. Yeah, well, you gotta that. you gotta move the jaw because otherwise, um, that's where your face gets broken. So if you know you get hit, you know, just make your your neck loose and go. <laughs> <laughs> I love. See, I knew I was gonna learn something today, other than stuff about UFOs. So I this is a win already, brother. Um, well, let's. For some of my listeners or viewers hey, who may not be too familiar with their work, I don't know how they couldn't at this point. Um, but tell us a little, if you don't mind, um, maybe about your time uh, with the FBI and uh, what got you from there to where you are today, hunting everything from ghosts and cryptids and UFOs. Yeah. Can you maybe give us kind of the origin story of how this sure. all well, I, I was born at an early age. Um, <laughs> no, I was kidding. I, uh, my, um, my interest really began when I was probably like eight years old, you know, because a lot of people, as you know, sometimes, and I'm not, I'm not you know, um, getting disparaging any other TV hosts, no one in particular, but sometimes TV shows are cast because um, they find that they have hosting qualities and then they want to be on TV and they're like, oh, and by the way, are you interested in UFOs, right? And for me, it was reverse. I never saw that I would be doing anything in TV. Um, I was kind of a geek when I was, um, gosh, I was five years old when I saw the movie E.T. 
right? And that was one subject that just really fascinated me. And um, my dad would bring me books, and some of them are kind of like behind me here, like stuff that was like beyond my comprehension level. And I would read these books about UFOs and um, just had this kind of interest that I put away as I got a little bit older. But then when I was in high school, uh, the TV show X-Files, you know, came out. It was a big popular thing. It sounds cliche, <laughs> but I knew there wasn't an X-Files and I knew there wasn't um, anything official like that, but I knew about Project Blue Book. And I was like, how cool would that be? And that honestly, it gave me a little more interest in working in the public sector and doing investigations. So when, when I was in college, uh, my degree was in sociology and criminology. And uh, straight out of college, I went to work um, investigating child sex crimes and severe physical abuse stuff. And so it was like um, working for the state. <laughs> I was okay with it. I know a lot of people like, ew, you know, like I go to a party. What do you do? And like, do you really want to know? And like, <laughs> I did that for several years um, before I went to work for the Bureau and um, not, not, you know, like putting, I guess to, to stay nicely in a marketing package. All right. The, the first show I did was Factor Faked, you know, right. and, and I fell into that world, but they wanted to promote everything with the X-Files theme and all that. And it's, it's cool, but. I, I don't want to give people the impression that I was doing anything like that at the Bureau, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was working national security, uh, criminal cases as well. Um, I wasn't there all that long because things just weren't what I expected. And and that's another thing I get from people is like, well, you, you knew too much. You got too close to the truth or, <laughs> right. you know, or he's a disinformation agent. I'm like, I wish, I wish because... <laughs> like two paychecks <laughs> right mm-hmm. so right i'm, I'm sure rate, it's up um, a few levels yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think i guess in a way i always get asked too well what do you think it did to prepare you for what you're doing now i was like i was always doing this this is the the tv show um my latest one pretty much like a culmination of whatever i was doing the same thing as a kid but now i'm an adult and what's weird is that um, there's so many things I believe and have an open mind now in that aspect than I did as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes to ghost hunting, I didn't believe in ghosts. They were, they were just made up stories when I was a kid. Um, UFOs, I had an open mind seeing so much now, you know? And so now I just, as an adult, get to go and explore these iconic places I used to see when I was a kid. Or I'm used to read about. You know, and, and like you go to conferences, you probably never believed that you'd be writing books, that you would be, uh, you know, like one of the authorities that people come to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it's a pretty interesting journey, I think, when you get involved in these things, because uh, like you said, like I never thought I would be any sort of authority figure. I don't have that in my blood or my DNA. But <laughs> hey, once you put the uh, the work in in the effort and people start paying attention to you uh it's an honor that anyone would read something that i would write or or watch a show that you're investigating on um yeah. it's awesome and i think that's a responsibility that we really have to uh uh pay attention to and and you know do do the work and um make it as credible as we can that's exactly it i mean when you say do the work because a lot of people are like well i don't have the background you do and everything and i was just thinking about that today i'm like 
anybody who wants to put in the effort to learn how to do a proper interview, you don't have to have a background in law enforcement. You don't have to have a degree in, in this or that. Um, the, the, some of the best researchers never had any of that. They just had a passion, right? And so the thing with ufology, though, okay, as opposed to what I found in, let's say, ghost hunting. Okay, ghost hunting, the paranormal stuff like that, to me, there's a lot of maybe theories and experiments and stuff people are using equipment for. But there's not a body of knowledge of famous, let's say, hauntings or things that the government has done to cover up ghosts. It's just not it's not the same. So, as you know, when you get into ufology, you can't really fake your way through it. You could be passionate about it, but your your base cannot be like, oh, I know pop culture. I know the movies about UFOs and men in black. No, it's like a history. They, they actually should have. And I think. I did take a class in college. It was called Does ET Exist? It was, it was a pretty cool class. But they should have a full class, maybe even a minor degree that you could get in ufology, be everything there is to know. You really have to get into history to know where we've been, um, what is known, what agencies are doing what, and why not? I mean, if it's you know important enough for the government to have official agencies and investigations, why not a degree from a university that you could get about the, the history of it. Exactly, man. And I mean, I, I have to give credit. There are professors out there kind of pushing for those kind of uh, courses, whether through a historical, uh, you know, lens or, or religion or government, or like you said, there's, you can attach this topic of UFOs to pretty much anything, which is what I've always found fascinating. Uh, pop culture, sociology, psychology, oh, religion. Totally. Oh, I love it. Um, and you guys kind of tackle all of these in your new show. So I guess we, you know, elephant in the room, you got a new show out after fact or fake, uh, ghosts of Morgantown. Uh, now we have UFO witness on discovery plus. So give us the, um, maybe the rundown of how the show came to be. And, uh, this really special, unique person that you were able to work with, on the show that actually worked with project blue book. Yeah. If you don't mind, give us the rundown. Okay, sure. So, um, ghosts of Morgan city. Um, you know, we filmed uh, a full season of that and I guess I, I can't get too much into what, what the development where that is right now, but because a lot of, because of what COVID was going through and what was happening, stalling of all filming, um, Possibility, so I guess I can say this much. There's a possibility that show can come back too. But in the interim, um, the UFO world has just exploded. And as you know, in the last couple of years, there's been so much media attention. But um, in my mind, there wasn't – look, I watch about half an hour of TV a month. I, I, I don't even have cable. <laughs> uh, I do enjoy the shows, but I'm very particular about what I watch. So I know that if I like something I'm on, that it came out well. To me, that's a pretty good endorsement. If Ben Hansen likes it, even his own show, you know, then okay, then I would watch it. Yeah. And uh, what happened was this company comes along, and um, I always get calls, people wanting ideas of of what to do, what to film, and I was already talking with the NAC, and this thing was kind of formulating already. A really great company called Anomaly, who makes just uh, they do a lot of Shark Week shows, and they they know how to do recreations and bring kind of that cinematic aspect into it. 
And so in talking with uh, panel executives and stuff, they said, hey, you know, look, have you asked Ben if, if he's interested in kind of what you are working on? And it just sort of meshed together. Now, Mark O'Connell, who's also a co-executive producer in that, um, had the access. Mark's kind of new to the, I guess, the UFO circuit that you and I have been for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, he he kind of came into it because he's been doing this a long time, but he hadn't been really well known of what access he had until he wrote a biography about Jal, uh, Dr. Hynek. Okay, so he writes a biography and was able to, about the same time the, um, the movie uh, Blue Book was out, he was also talking to the family members, you know, to Paul Hynek. Um, he, was, he was getting in with anybody who, who knew Hynek to really get to know this man. He writes the book, and in the, uh, the, the process of doing that, he gains access to CUFOS, the Center of UFO Studies, where the archives, um, and for those audience who probably know this, uh, that organization was started by Hynek after he left Project Blue Book. So, uh, and then it morphs off and branches into MUFON and other, other organizations pop up. So anyways, Jenny Zeidman was Dr. Hynek's personal assistant. Um, uh, she was a college student. Um, I, I believe it was, uh, I don't know if you talked many places, but Ohio State is where I believe it was. And she's a student in his class. And uh, they did kind of a field trip you know, like, um, and went outside and they saw some sighting of, of a, a weird object. Now the whole cr- class is freaking out. Heineck himself doesn't know what he's seeing. And she goes back and does some research and comes back and says, I know what we saw the other night it was da, 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 da. I don't remember if it, she, she found that it was a weather balloon or, or what it was, but he was so impressed with her diligence that he said, would you like to kind of intern for me? Would you like to be my assistant? So she then actually gets hired um, by the Air Force, okay, working with Hynek as his assistant and eventually moves up into field investigating and actually doing a lot of the interviews. And um, she was, gosh, how old was she? She was 80-something. She was way up there when I met her. And it was just like sitting down in a big chair, you know, and saying, Grandma, you know, tell me about what you knew. And she was very opinionated. She felt very determined um, about a lot of things that Dr. Hynek of, she, she was, you know, right there next to him and knew what his thoughts were, knew what he believed, what he was frustrated with, knew his opinions on cases. Um, I don't know if I'm getting too far into the weeds here, but something that the, uh, is, it, it's addressed a little bit in the series she later went to work for the government, uh, a contractor named Battelle, right? And if your people Ooh. know Battelle. Yeah, very right? familiar. Yep. The engineering of a lot of the uh, the Roswell debris, uh, uh, technology division at Wright-Patterson, they're like this. Yeah. And so not giving away too much, one part of the series was we learned from Jenny some of these Okay, the people who were assigning the problem cases, the, the, the most unexplained cases, she believes did not come from the Air Force directly. Um, one or two guys would show up in a car, deliver a manila envelope, and she, she did a search on their license plate to find out who these people were because Heineck was like, they're not Air Force. Okay, they're dressed in, in like civilian clothes. 
Okay, so how is a government handling, much in the same way, I guess you could say Bigelow was handling the money for um, the uh, the $22 million that was invested, right? right. <laughs> in ATIP. And so he he's a government contractor, but he's assigning these cases because for, for one thing, there's no FOIA requests that you can do. Like they don't have the same rules. Right. Right. If you put a FOIA request on, on a, a government contractor, they're not under the same obligation to turn over their files. Right. And so if you do an investigation that's actually headed underneath a contractor, it gets lost. Yeah. Nobody has to come out and talk about it. Right. And so what's really cool with O'Connell we got to pick the brain of Jenny for the, the time she was with us before she passed away. We get access to the KUFOS files. We get personal notes, um, personal correspondence between Heineck and, and everything he was doing before and after Blue Book. And we get to revisit and retrace his steps for some of these iconic cases, compare them to modern day things. So you'll see each episode, we take an old case. We look at what Jenny did. And then we come forward and we look for patterns uh, to see, is it something new? Is it different? What can we learn from it? Yeah, I I love that aspect of the show. I just like retracing his steps, trying to get in the mind of Heineck and like what he was thinking at the time. And then you as a modern day investigator who has the technology now to go out and do your own, uh, you know, re-examination. I mean, that's a resource that only something like a television show can really provide. So that's why when I always tell people, like, you may think these TV shows um, are entertainment, but they have resources that us UFO researchers do not have and money to do it. So I'm all for any infotainment as we call it show coming out where it will get the, uh, the topic out there. And, um, well, let's kind of, without going in too in-depth with every episode, Ben, because obviously we want people to watch your journey, uh, the first episode, we have to talk about this one. You mentioned what's going on in the world today with UFOs. We've got the Pentagon has a UFO task force. Uh, within 180 days, they're supposed to make their findings public, which is like, all of this is just blowing my mind. I never thought we would see this in our lifetime. <laughs> um, and you were able to interview one of the gentlemen that was on the Nimitz carrier. And um, you found some really interesting connections between that and a case that Blue Book investigated, which was the uh, the coin helicopter case. So would you mind maybe running us a little through what these two cases might have had in common to give us an example of what the show, your show truly stands for? Yeah, thank you. Um, so you're right. The, the Nimitz case was was probably, um, gosh, I get I, you could dare say if you looked at it globally, it it's uh, it it's almost more prolific than Roswell in the amount of eyes that got on the case because it's very visual. We got these videos of, um, you know, the the tic tac shaped UFO, and then later on the East Coast. You know, they they have the the thing that uh, they looks like the video looks like it's on its side and it's like spinning. And and number one, it's because the government finally admitted they had been chasing these things. They had an official um, program to investigate them and they don't know what they are. So, you know, and so 
the the media is is crazy about it finally and one thing though is that the shape of this you call they call it a tic tac um it's interesting that, that there are actually more sightings now far more sightings of triangles of lights and orbs and non disc shaped objects you know and so we kind of wanted to know well how far back do we go to where we could find a lot of, of uh, references to a tic-tac-looking cylindrical, you know, shape. And military engines. And the coin copter case is a great example because that was um, 1970, I want to say it was 75. These guys are uh, pilots, army um, guy going to get a flight uh, medical review, and they're on the way back, they they take turns flying the helicopter because they need the hours. Right. So the guy flying the helicopter on the way back, they, they take an altitude, which is unusual for them. It was like, uh, I think they were about 3000 feet. Normally helicopters are cruising, you know, like maybe 500, maybe a little bit more, but they get way up there. And as they're flying, um, their right side starboard, I guess we're not a boat. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, the right side, you see this red light and it starts approaching them and they start kind of taking notice that it's coming really fast and it starts zooming, zooming, zooming super fast towards them. So much so that Captain Coyne um, grabs the uh, controls, the collective and grabs a helicopter and says, okay, it's mine because he's got the the most time in this uh, aircraft and pushes it down in a dive. Okay. So they think they're going to miss collision. And I remember seeing the altitude indicator just from um, the 3000 or they're at, they get down to 1700 feet. This thing comes up over the top of them and about 20 seconds, maybe even less um, stops and hovers above them. It's tic-tac shaped. Um, it has a light in front of it that shines down on them and fills the canopy of the helicopter. And before you know it, the, they disappear. That takes off. They look at their altimeter and they're up to 3,500 feet. So they've gained 1,800 feet. Um, yeah. Something like that. I had them trying to figure it out. Gains that much altitude in that 10 to 20 seconds. So for, for us and, and people who have seen my previous um, shows like Fact or Faked, one of the coolest was we, we tried replicating that, the modern-day helicopter, which, of course, the, uh, I believe it was a Huey that they were in. It's, it's more powerful, but in talking to our expert pilot, he's like, here's the differences. It's not going to be anywhere. Look, it's going to be just as fast as they were flying. The horsepower and everything else climb a little bit more in the military helicopter, but it was a good proof of concept because what we found was there's absolutely no way, uh, even even a meteorological condition like a you know wind shear, not make the helicopter rise that quickly that amount of time. So there had to be some external force at play. So that's that's kind of how the show goes: is that we that we look for natural explanations, maybe we try to recreate something, but knowing that these similar objects were seen you know in the 70s and now again and they seem to be i wouldn't say it was aggressive hurt them but think about it we're we're deploying scramble 
to fly after these things. There are rumors that when this has happened before, like 1952, uh, the Red Scare over the Capitol, where these things showed up, you know, in swarms over two weekends in July, and the jets would come and they'd scramble away. There are rumors that we lost two jets on one of those weekends that the pilots died. Okay, we're, we're trying to confirm that, but think about it. Like, this is a national security concern. In our airspace, we don't know who they are. And, and I think that's one reason that this, uh, both of these cases are really important. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, we had uh, the former head of the secret Pentagon UFO program, Luis Elizondo, on uh, two weeks ago now. And he said the same thing. He's like, look, I come from a world of the Department of Defense and, and intelligence. Like, if we don't know what it is, these UFOs, it's going to be a potential threat. So, you know, yeah. while a lot of people out there may think, you know, they're space brothers and they're, you know, they're here to save us and it's all love and light. Um, we don't know that. And that could be only yeah. one possible whatever intelligence race uh, source of what that UFO was. The ones over here may not be here for the, re- the same reason. So, um, yeah, man, I thought that was a really good example of taking the case from then and now and um, finding connections and. It's cool. And another episode, um, which uh, Discovery Plus was so kind to send me uh, screeners of a bunch of them, to be honest. I was surprised they let me see (laughs) so far ahead. So I have to thank Discovery Plus for that. But um, I believe this one aired already. So I think we could talk about it. The one with your grandfather. This like blew me away, man. Um, And I don't think I've ever watched a scripted uh, or unscripted paranormal or UFO show where I almost cried. And this was the (laughs) one that did it. So would you mind kind of running us through, um, you know, going to meet your dad and talking about your grandpa and his possible connection to all of this in an episode called Alien High Tech? Yeah. Can you tease us a little bit about what that's all about? It was really touching because so, so when the, when the series, um, we decided it was greenlit, um, I got to go with the producers. We talked about, uh, some of the different, um, cases we wanted to cover, you know, when we we're going to do it and, you know, talk about some amazing stories that haven't been told yet. Um, they also wanted a personal connection and this one's always been something that I've been trying to, to work on on my own was that my grandfather worked for the Air Force. He was um, he was in World War II uh, with the Marines and then went to the Air Force civilian, and he was a, um, a logistical engineer. So his job, um, well, my pictures of him are over here. But anyways, his job was primarily um, to, to take logistical like projects and figure out, okay, we need to make the space for the project. We need to inventory it. Um, he he helped them implement the, the the largest computer system the Air Force had at the time, and he worked underground. Okay, he worked on maintaining hangar systems. And at some point in 1965, my dad was 15 years old. Comes to my dad and says, uh, "Son, um, I've been asked to join a special group." And the, the government might call me at any time. And if they do, I have to get up and I have to leave town. And I can't tell you sometimes or even where I'm going. I don't know when I'll be back. And my dad's like, are you talking about like a Cold War era nuclear threat sort of thing? And, and he goes, well, something like that. Right. And so my dad remembers in 65 was the first time 
he was called. He had to pack his bags. And and one thing that the show, I think that the narrator made a, a little error there. They said they moved my family um, to Utah. They, he was always in Utah. What, what it was is he would leave from there on what they call TDYs, temporary duty assignment, to Wright-Patterson. And Wright-Patterson, of course, is head of Project Blue Book, still going on in 60s. It was also and is the home of the Foreign Technology Division. So everything from Roswell to any back engineering of craft we don't know how it works is taken there. And my grandpa would be gone. Okay, Sometimes for a couple of weeks, he couldn't talk to my my dad. He couldn't answer the phone at times. Um, so in the series, you know, without getting too much into it, but you'll see this, this part where um, – the producers loved the idea and I wanted to do it to go talk to my own dad about my grandpa and see what we could find out. And uh, so my dad tells the story of how that progression happened and what we learned and actually matching up some dates of when my grandpa left to write Patterson. And I'm like blown away because we were able to match up the Dexter, Michigan case, you know, uh, Kecksburg, like specific weekends where some major things happen and my grandpa just happens to leave like it's an emergency and then can't say when he's coming back. Right. And so the, the thing that I think you're talking about had gave me chills too, because if you watch, I'm, I'm almost, and I don't cry a lot at all, but like, I'm like kind of getting a little water like holding back because my dad was retelling the, the deathbed, you know, like when my grandpa was there and what he finally tells him in the end. You know, and so to me, having the opportunity to do this, this um, episode was really awesome because we got my dad on tape. Um, we made some discoveries I had no idea about. And and to be able to do that just for a family archive, you know, was really cool. So we're still we're still researching it. Um, I'm still trying to kind of dig in there to see if grandpa hid any secrets anywhere. What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis, we have tons of rewards for you in return, including shoutouts on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Thank you and keep looking up. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Yeah, you're so right, man. I think uh, there's another show out where they found the personal journals of Jesse Marcel during the Roswell incident. So look, these cases aren't case closed. Even if they were part of Project Blue Book and they were closed, um, they're still unknown of what a lot of these actually were. So who knows what your your grandfather worked on? Um, it was a really cool human touch to the show. And um, I, I loved it. Um, you got to go to Dugway in that episode too. But like oh, I said, yeah. we could... We could go episode by episode, but I've got some more important questions to ask you, man, um, in terms of, you know, kind of the journey of the show. There is an episode dealing with uh, abductions. I don't know if it's aired yet, but what do you what do you make of this whole side of it? You know, we're not just talking lights in the sky or uh, even even a craft of some sort. We're going next level. We're talking people getting kidnapped by aliens. So. When you're an investigator going into something like that and knowing that Project Blue Book actually looked into these cases as well, um, what do you make of it, the whole abduction phenomenon? Well, it's kind of the the next logical step, but I find that like with most things, there's a continuum of I'm not I don't like the the term skeptic and believer because people want to label you. And and if they say believer, well, then what does that mean? I believe everything I hear. No. I need to be skeptical. And so when it comes to abductions, um, I'll tell you the one case that really changed my mind because I was in that camp of like, look, okay, I would give it a 90, 95% chance we've been visited because of all the sightings I've had my own, you know, a couple of them that blew me away. So I would say I'd give it a 95% chance, but you have to be, have your mind open to that possibility that they're not just flying around, but they're actually interacting with us in a, in a much more, direct way and the case that changed my mind on that was travis walton you know fire in the sky and years ago um i had a mutual friend who got me in touch with him i didn't know he's still alive. like most of us i saw the the movie that freaked me out and i was like whoa how much of this is true and it's the case of of 1975 and and you know really quick i don't know it was like arizona uh seven loggers there they're out, you know, finishing up the day of work and they, they come across this object. It's hovering in the forest and Travis approaches it is struck, you know, by, um, they said it was kind of a bolt, something as he gets close to it. And then they leave him and they come back and he's gone and he's gone for like five days. So when I met Travis, um, and, and saw kind of what a, a humble and believable person he was. And then you put into that all of the um, polygraphs that the crew had taken, all of the, the law enforcement involvement, the investigations. You're talking about a very, very powerful case, probably the most well-documented abduction case. And I believed that the crew believed what they saw. And I believe that Travis is telling the truth. So if I believe that, um, I had to be open to the other possibilities that others have had abductions. The problem is, 
you can't lose your sense of objectivity. You have mm-hmm. to look at it in the probability of say, there's a higher percentage of people with mental health problems in this field. There's also people who don't have any mental health problems, but have um, very lucid dreams experiences that they've, they've come to make them believe they've, they've had an experience. And then there's that possibility. This is really happening to them. Right. And so I'm kind of in this murky middle where I'm like trying to weigh the evidence, trying to get to know the person and then trying to make a decision whether I believe, first of all, no one in this I met, nobody I believe made it up. Okay. I, I think everyone was telling the truth of what they believed. But then we have to get into, is there another explanation? Is this something that was like a lucid dream or sleep paralysis or something that was so real to them? Or did it physically really happen? And that's where we let the audience decide. Because honestly, I don't know. I really... I have an open mind, but I don't know. Some of these things are so strange. Um, but if it's true, it's pretty crazy what's been going on. Yeah, man. I I agree with you on so many levels when it comes to this uh, abduction phenomenon. I mean, you know me. I'm all about the people who have experienced it. So I've interviewed mm-hmm. hundreds of people claiming alien abductions. And I, I come away feeling the same way, you know, Um Maybe they're fantasy prone. Maybe it was a uh, hypnagogic hallucination, a lucid dream. Yeah. Um, anything to kind of push the idea of a extraterrestrial intelligence experimenting on people is what I went for. But then you come away with those few cases where you're like, huh, there is nothing I can say to try to explain this. And the people, too. I mean, we're talking yeah. people claiming these things are your barista. They're your law enforcement. You know, they're your um, your teacher. They're, these yeah. are every people, credible, sane people saying that this happened. So that really says a lot. Get a sense of what 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 Dr. Heineck felt like um, the Pascagoula, Mississippi case. Right. Mm-hmm. And and to me, it's not so crazy. There's like they're like robot like that come out of the craft and grab these two guys by the arms. Right. But this is an example of where I felt the same way. He personally went down there, interviewed the men, talked to the, the police officer. They did a trick on him. And when they interviewed him, they left the tape recorder going and they left the room to see if they would talk and be like, oh, gosh, you know, the police aren't believing us or, you know, isn't this funny? How are we going to keep this up? So they didn't know they're being recorded and they were absolutely scared. They were crying. They were petrified. Yeah. Petrified. Right. And so Heineck comes away from that case also firmly believing he never says, I know that, you know, extraterrestrials abducted these men because he's a very objective scientist, but he says, I believe they're telling the truth. I believe they, they believe they had the science. So then what, what is it, you know? And, and that's why I think I identify a lot with Dr. Hynek because I, I want to stay grounded. Sometimes all we have are the stories, maybe some physical evidence, but we shouldn't discount or of witness testimony. Witness testimony can put people in prison in the death sentence. Witness testimony, you know, like we have to make judgments about people if they're telling the truth or not. And it's been diminished over time because we expect technology to do it all for us now. Right. But I kind of, that's kind of the crux of the show. Really. 
it's UFO witness. Yeah, it's all about the witnesses. I agree with you, brother. Um, well, moving on to some listener questions, if you don't mind sticking around for a couple sure. of these. Cool. Sure. Cool. Um, yeah, we got some excited people out there, man. And they've been following your work for a while. So the first question, uh, we're going back to fact or fake days. Um, for Cam on Facebook, it remains his favorite paranormal show. Is there any chance of a revival? And do you keep in touch with anyone from the original uh, investigations? Um, I do. Most of them. Most of them. I, I talked to uh, Austin the other day. He's having a baby. Um, uh, Devin has got a couple kids now. He's teaching at a college. He's a pedic. Uh, let's see. Jael has got a, a podcast. She's doing some radio stuff. I don't know exactly what Lanisha up to or Chilon. Bill, I talk to all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and Bill's really wanting to do something. You know, so it's it's kind of like um, if people are watching now, Discovery Plus, Discovery actually bought the rights to show the archives. And so uh, Fact or Fake is on, I think on like Wednesdays or it's on streaming now probably. I don't even know. You know, or this case was already adventures and i'm like well yes but you know ours was filmed in 2010 <laughs> we did it a long time ago yeah. so anyways people wish we want it back um sci-fi is not doing this type of show anymore so i don't honestly know who has the rights to the name except the discovery rebought it and they changed the name a little bit so it as far as rights go i think they could redo it yeah. And I am going to start talking with uh, the networks, perhaps, to see if, if there's a chance of a revival of some sort. I don't know that it would have all the same crew because some of them kind of gone off. But, um, you know, not tooting our own, but the concept was pretty unique. Yeah. It was something that a lot have tried to replicate. And um, it's flattering. I mean, but we, we were a combination of like Mythbusters you know, and, um, and the paranormal, which a lot of these video shows are now just trying to, you know, do and, and I think it's still missing that element that we used to out there and, and put it to the test and we love it. I hope to see it back. I, I really can't say, you know, as to, yeah. to whether it's possible or not. Yeah. Hey, anything's possible. If we've learned anything from 2020, That's right. um, That's but right. you're, you're getting, you're definitely getting that feel in UFO witness. So I highly suggest any fact or fake fans check out UFO witness because you're doing it, man. You're, you're going out, you're doing the experiments boots on the ground and that's what people want. And that's what this field needs instead of all these people sitting around Googling stuff <laughs> and, and giving their opinion and saying case closed. No, go out there and do the work. Um, well, okay. Edward on Facebook asks, do you think men in black work for the FBI or what are your overall thoughts on the men in black phenomenon? You do touch on this a little bit in UFO witness, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. What do you think of the MIBs, Ben? Some of the earliest men in black encounters that uh, it dates back at least as far back as Roswell. Okay. There, there were military people that we've actually traced um, uh, back to, uh, not the FBI, but actually the military who would show when they're from the base, you know, the military base or something, but maybe and they would threaten. They would literally, we, I've talked to witnesses who said when they were little, um, they were, I think the person I'm thinking of was, uh, gosh, she was like maybe seven years old. 
or, or younger, Terry Mann threatened her that the debris that she had handled, the things she was told, that if she told anyone, uh, they would take her to the desert and, and uh, take her away from her family or kill her family. And it's really sad and tragic, but there are cases of that in these unidentified um, men who show up and make threats or give bribes. We see the same thing then happening again in the uh, uh, Heflin case, which was, um, you know, these photographs ap- happened here in California and it looks kind of like the classic saucer shape. And, and he's a construction worker for the, um, I think department of transportation. He was doing some contracts and he films this thing guy shows up, you know, asked to borrow the photos and never returns them. And, you know, says he's from some government agency. And so, this is not a new thing, but the men in black, I don't know if, so I would, if I'm guessing, I would say it's not one specific agency. I think I've heard stories from people from multiple agencies that they said, we have a, div- a department or a division or a unit that does that sort of thing. And I think yeah. you see in the series, um, we, we interview a, a controversial person who says that he did that for the government, Right. And I know exactly people, who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people don't believe him because we, we know that he did work for the government, but like when someone comes out and says, let's say, for example, they say I'm a spy and I'm going to give you some information. You're kind of like, okay, well, are you being with me now? Because what spies do is they lie. Right. right. And so when, when you're doing national security investigations, that's where you get double agent and, and who are they really working for? And it's a real deal. The intelligence community, they deal with this all the time. It's a real thing. And so you have to decide now, is this person still being truthful with me? Are they lying? Is there a pro in place? And, and I, if I had to put money on it, yeah. If you want to call it men in black, no, they don't come up and erase your mind. But there are, there are agencies who lie. Uh, units that lie about working for other agencies. You can do that in law enforcement, believe it or not. You can show up and say that you're, you know, somebody else um, to get information so they can lie. They can appear to be somebody else. Um, But I would say it happens far less now than it used to. That's just my, based on, on what I've, I've gathered from interviews and everything, because the bottom line is I don't think we need to do that much anymore. If they were worried about things getting out, okay, that was the 50s, the 60s. It was a panic. There was a real reason, I think, why they were worried people would would panic at getting this information. We do it to ourselves now. (laughs) We do it to ourselves. If I had the best UFO video ever, you know, and, you know, a UFO like Independence Day over the White House, and I put it on the 10 o'clock, how many people are still not going to believe that happened? Right. Uh, It's a viral video made up for a movie. It's this, it's that. And at the end of the day, you know, you're uh, I I just think there's so much disinformation, hoaxing so many things out there that it would be diluted. It would be lost. We wouldn't have to have men in black show up and say, don't talk about the thing you saw. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We're uh, we're our own worst enemies, I think, nowadays. And it's funny because, like you said, you would think with the um, expansion and evolution of technology, we'd be able to get better evidence and stuff of this. But in reality, it actually works against us. 
like you said, we have special effects artists. That's their calling card. Put out a, a UFO video they made on their computer, gets a million views. Boom, you're going to get hired by Hollywood. So it's hard, yeah. man. I totally get it. And especially in today's age of social media, too, with um, you know falsity spreading so easily and, and everything, too. Um, it's it's harder. It's actually harder than I think it was before. And I think it's harder for the government to contain their information, too. So I think that's why oh, we're yeah. seeing, oh, yeah. you know, um, the DOD saying, yeah, here, here's those videos of the Tic Tac and everything. We're officially releasing them. When in reality, yeah. we knew about those videos years before they actually they uh, leaked. They leaked. And they that, leaked. I mean, yeah. It, it, it's a hope, I guess, that I have. If if any of the evidence from Roswell exists or anything like that, like it's probably very deep vaulted. But if there's a chance that anybody had access to it, these things, it's not like the olden days, right? Yeah. And and when people get information, they leak it, or the hackers are so good now, you know, like uh, they can get in there. And then we have like that hack where they. They're, they start releasing things about off-world officers and what does this mean? And is this a real thing? And, yeah. you know, and so um, we live in an age of information overload. And that, I think, is our biggest challenge. It's our biggest yeah. challenge because when we have bombshells come out, it can get lost. The significance and impact of that can get lost in all the other things that we're consumed with right now. And the other problem is who do we trust anymore? Right. There's so much distrust, uh, you know, for our, our leaders, the government, everything, the media and 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 finishes all of that with personal testimony, too. You know, like if you know me and you believe I would not lie to you, that's probably the most powerful thing that, that could help persuade you. Yeah. You know, because otherwise um, all this stuff coming together, it, it we're just living in a very interesting time. I think you're right. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, it's it's time for citizens to take back the information they they get and they learn. So that's why I applaud anyone who's out there in the civilian world still investigating, you know, mom and pops UFO sighting. Not not <laughs> not, you know, the radar operator on the Nimitz carrier like the military cases are awesome. And yeah, these are trained observers. So like these are the cases that make the most impact. But I'm so happy there's still people out there like you do in your show of going out to Dulce and talking to the locals and getting a feel for what they think they saw instead of what the government thinks they saw or or stuff like that. So, um, no, I, I think that's what brings your show kind of kind of circles us back to it's all about the witnesses. Um, so I guess kind of my last question for you, Ben, uh, before we wrap up here is uh, you've you've investigated ghosts, you've investigated cryptids now ufos um this seems to be kind of a running theory nowadays of all this stuff somehow being interconnected you know some weird yeah. string theory between all these things so as an investigator who's looked at all of them who's looked at all the evidence what do you think are we dealing with things interconnected or should we stay you know in our lanes when it comes to flying saucers and bigfoot <laughs> and uh you know the ghosts of morgan city well maybe the answer is yes and no i mean mm -hmm. I, I i do think that science is moving in the direction of um multiple dimensions so if you the, if the word dimension scares people think it's sci-fi well 
Um, to me, I've always, for example, had a belief in, in life after death. Okay. So, so if there's spirits that are here and they can sometimes manipulate our physical world, sometimes people see them, but we're, we're occupying the same physical space, but they're not always visible. Then we're talking in reality about another dimension. So I'm okay with that. Now do UFOs, aliens, do, do they live in this dimension? Um, you know, the, the thinkers of their time, which are probably far ahead, um, you know, Jacques Vallée, for example, he was very hesitant to say anything about this until recently because he knew it wasn't popular. Um, I do have evidence of nuts and bolts craft, things that were built, you know, from, from those from other worlds. I think we're getting to that point, and I think that's what will end up being the conclusion. However, does that mean that they have to travel light years away to get here? You know, maybe it's both, but this interdimensional thing with the, the different phenomena we're seeing with like orbs of light that come and go, is that connected to, to orbs that people see in, you know, paranormal hauntings? Um, I, I, I try not to find a unified theory just because looking at what I'm studying right now is hard enough, but I think you do have to have an open mind that, um, there are other worlds right around us that we can't see. So I guess in short, yes, I, I, I do. I do think that there, there is a, an overall explanation, but it's not necessarily that the ghosts are aliens. Does that make sense? Oh, you know, totally or that right. Bigfoot is uh, from another. I have anything that would indicate that yet. Right. But there is something going on. And it might help explain things such as why you're not finding a dead Bigfoot. You know, like maybe they don't actually physically live here all the time. And as crazy as that is, there's a maybe a way that they're kind of slipping in and out. And, and we're only briefly getting of them or interactions. Um, I, I feel weird saying that, but I think the, the, the evidence that the phenomena is real, things are happening, is, is overwhelming, in my opinion. Um, no, I think you're right. Kind of um, piggybacking off of what you said, if you zoom back far enough, everything's connected somehow. But then, mm-hmm. you know, it is, it's a challenge. So I think, you know, UFO people do what you do. Ghost people do what you do. And then every now and again, go get a beer and talk about it. And then maybe you'll find some connections. That's the way I look at it. But um, before we yeah. go, Ben, um with UFO witness now having taken this journey um, and going on all these investigations, what do you hope viewers will take away from this series? And uh, what did you come out thinking by the end of it? Any big revelations or um, yeah. What, what do you got for us in terms of all that? Well, um, you know, like aside from it, I think being a, a a rich kind of a a history, you call infotainment, um, I, I think that it brings everything from pop culture that you would see these very dramatic and events, you know, um, of abductions or sightings. I don't mean to make them all scary. I think anything that you see that's that close to you can be, you know, sometimes disturbing. But I think if you take all of that and, and bring it now into the fact-based stuff of what we know, that's what this series really does. Because a lot of people only know the pop culture and they know what their neighbor said they saw, but they have no idea. This is sort of like a UFO, UFOlogy 101 for people, right? It takes you into 
um, the, the basics of like, if I were to take a course in UFOs, well, okay, let's talk about probably blue book. Let's talk about the government's interest in it. And we have a conversation. So if this does serve a public service of any sort, first you have to care about the subject. And this show I think really helps you care about the subject. It helps legitimacy to a lot of these sightings. Um, it's backed with official government records. And from that, once we care about it, um, if it were to be a social movement, and I'm not saying like we have a, you know, a million person march on DC, but you got to have enough voices to say, look, okay, guys, we know there's overwhelming evidence and people have seen this and, and things have happened over the years. We want to know the truth now. And I think that's what we're getting to. I think the media is interested in that. They, uh, we, as you know, TV producers and, and what we do, we're part of that. We're part of, yeah. of making that awareness so that we can see some change and hopefully time get some answers. Absolutely, man. I think, um, you know, it is, it's a time unlike any other in the UFO world right now. Um, you got a lot of activists on Twitter who are super passionate about, you know, writing your Congress members or your senators and mm-hmm. tell us like what you know about UFOs. And I'm all for that. I'm all for the people out there actually investigating. I'm all for the people sitting at their computers and researching old cases. Like there's a place for everyone in all of this. And I think that's, what's beautiful about it. It's a, it's a topic, whether it's paranormal or UFOs that unify us instead of divide us. So if we could get more of those in the world right now, I think uh, we could definitely, definitely use that. You hit on a a great point maybe to, to end with is that um, because of the you know political divisions and everything we're seeing, you have to remember presidents on both sides have had their experiences. Have uh, politicians on both sides have come together to ask for this latest thing, you know, in Congress. Um, it is it was Reagan and it was Clinton who both made similar statements about imagine, imagine if we were visited from someone or something from an external force and how that would unite us. We're all humans. You know, this this earth together, it doesn't mean that they have to be our enemies, but it would bring us together, remember what we have in common. And so I think it's one reason the UFO subject is also so hot right now. Yeah. Yep. I, I think humans desperately want that. And um, let's not let all of this divide us. Let's come together. So, brother, I got to ask you um, before we go, where can we find everything you're up to? And where can we find UFO Witness? So, yeah, a UFO Witness uh, started premiering on Discover Plus, which is um, a subscription app. You can get it free, I think, for seven days. So if you wanted to wait till all the episodes are on there and binge watch them and cancel, I, I didn't tell you that. But why would you want to cancel? Yeah. <laughs> like, so many shows, they, they have... The Arcane Aliens, they bought Histories and A&E's archives. There's so many, like 10,000 plus titles, I think, on there. So anyways, it's a great service. Um, you can also get it for free, I think, if you have an account and, and something in there. So it's Sun Plus app, your TV, Roku, stick, whatever you get your apps through, it'll be on there. And um, we have, let's see, we're on episode 
four or five just dropped. We got three or four more weeks because there's eight episodes total. And uh, eventually, perhaps, the whole series will also air on Travel Channel, but it's a, a Discovery Plus original. So um, look forward to it. I hope you guys enjoy it. We've been getting a ton of, of really good facts. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Awesome, brother. Well, hey, again, like it was so cool to see Jenny Ziedman and Mark O'Connell and you on the show. Uh, The passion shows in what you guys did, and I highly suggest everyone go check it out. And I can't believe I'm saying this again. First time guest, Ben Hansen. Thank you for joining me today on Somewhere in the Skies, my man. Well, thank you so much for having me, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.